Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. Well, we're this weekend we're continuing our series titled Follow Me. And this series is all about, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have been called to follow Jesus wherever he goes. So we've been looking at some of the places during Christ's uh, three-year ministry run on the earth, some of the places he went that he calls us to go as well. And now that we're kind of, you know, halfway through this series, I'm, I'm learning, I'm kind of figuring out, I'm a little slow sometimes, a lot of the places we've talked about aren't actually places we enjoy going. Have you noticed that about this series? I didn't see that coming as we started this series. And this weekend, we're, we're just going to stay with the theme that apparently the Lord is leading us down. Before we can talk about what we're talking about next week, which is follow me to the cross, we first have to talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. So the title of this weekend's message is follow me to Gethsemane. Follow me to Gethsemane. And if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to two spots. Open up to Matthew 26 and put a marker in Psalm 77. Turn to Matthew 26. We'll start there and then we'll get to Psalm 77. You can just put a marker or a piece of paper, a card in there, and we'll get to it in points two and three. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. Let's read it together. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. Jesus became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them like good friends asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even for one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. The Preston paraphrase translation would say this, uh, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, down the hatch. That's, that's what Jesus was saying. If this is the only way for you to get what you're looking for in this situation, if I'm the only person who could drink this cup, so be it. Your will be done. Some powerful, heavy stuff Jesus is saying and feeling in the garden. When he returned to his disciples again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, fine, go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Have you ever felt like God has asked you to go through something difficult 
that lasted longer than you thought it would last. Anybody ever been asked by God to go through a difficult season? Okay, Jesus finds himself, he's been prophesying since he got on the scene that he was walking towards his death. He knew it was coming. And we find him in the garden of Gethsemane, overwhelmed with anguish and sorrow. And he uses his own mouth and says, I feel these things so strongly that it's almost killing me. And I haven't even gotten to the cross yet. It's amazing to me that the Bible says Jesus was anguished and so full of sorrow that he says, my soul is crushed to the point of death. I feel like I'm dying. We're going to talk about today those seasons of suffering that God from time to time asks us as followers of Jesus Christ to walk through. And I'm going to give you four things that we can all learn from Jesus from watching how he walked through the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's point number one. Understand the cup comes with the calling. The cup comes with the calling. Have you ever heard somebody ask God, or maybe you yourself have asked the Lord, God, give me a really big calling. I mean, I want a huge calling. Isn't it funny how everybody wants a huge calling, but very few people actually want to experience the weight that comes with carrying it? I want a big calling. I mean, I want that Resurrection Sunday calling every day of the week. You know, here's the problem with that. In order to live out the calling of what happens on Resurrection Sunday, you got to rewind three days. You got to go through that. But then you got to go through the garden too. It's not all smiles and giggles. The bigger you're calling, the heavier the weight. And Jesus is saying in the Garden of Gethsemane, this calling is crushing me. And if you're here today and you'd say, Man, I'm not suffering because I made some mistakes. I feel like God has asked me to go through this season. And I don't want to. I hate this. I'm frustrated by it. I'm bothered by it. I don't even understand it fully. But I am in the midst of a season of suffering because God has asked me to walk through it. If that's you, be encouraged. You're in phenomenally good company. That's where Jesus found himself in the garden. Romans chapter 8 to kind of help you to help calibrate your thinking and understanding as it relates to suffering in Christianity. Romans chapter 8 verse 17 says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also, here's the encouraging part, share his suffering. Here's what this means. The Bible in Romans 8 is telling us that as children of God, we are his heirs, which means we inherit as heirs. We inherit some things from God. And it says one of those things is the glory of God, that we're going to get in on that as heirs. We inherit that. But every great inheritance has two components, the blessing and the responsibility. See, many of us, when we think of the word inheritance, we think, show me the money. Give me the blessing. I mean, that, that's how most people think of a great inheritance. It's just more money. But the Bible says, as his heirs, as children of God, 
we are set to inherit the glory of God. But if we are to inherit the glory, then we must also share in his suffering. Now I want you to think about this. How many of you hate surprises? You just don't like surprises, okay? I really don't like surprises. I like to see it coming a mile away, all right? But think about this. How many of us hate bad surprises? Yeah, and you get bothered, not just because it's something bad, but it's because it's so unexpected. And, and I'm upset because it's a bad surprise, but I'm angry because I didn't see it coming. Okay, I wanna show you in the Bible, if that's how you see suffering, where when God asks you to go through a difficult season that involves some suffering and you're bothered because you didn't see it coming, let me help you be able to really kind of get out of the angry uh, as it relates to that. John chapter 16, verse 33. Really encouraging stuff I'm about to read right here. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. If this is your first time at Gateway Church, I want you to know, we believe encouraging the body of Christ with the word of God. <laughs> it gets worse. Psalm 34, verse 19. The righteous person faces many troubles. Well, good morning to you, Jesus. The righteous person faces many troubles. There's another way to say it. Suffering is a part of following our Savior. You can no longer say, when God asks you to walk through a season of suffering, that you're shocked and surprised by it. The Bible says it's just part of the walk. And the sooner you own that suffering is from time to time a part of Christianity, the sooner you own that, the sooner you can work your way through it when, you're fi when you find yourself in it. Suffering is a part of following our Savior. If we're followers of Jesus Christ and he suffered, what makes me think I'm going to be exempt from suffering? That's what Romans 8 helps us to understand. That your calling and his cup they go hand in hand. Here's the second thing we can learn from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Deal honestly with how you feel about the cup. This is going to set some people free this morning. Deal honestly with how you feel about the cup. Listen to the way Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 describes how Jesus was talking and what he was feeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's heavy, strong emotional language. Hebrews 5, 7 says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. This is Jesus. Jesus was honest in the garden about how he felt about this calling and his suffering. But there are two very dangerous thoughts that many of us have as believers that oftentimes in seasons of suffering keep us from being honest with God about how we, he, how we feel. If you're taking notes, I want you to write both of them down because you may need to remember this down the road. Here's the first thought. I shouldn't bother God with this. I shouldn't bother God with my emotions. I shouldn't bother God with how I feel. He's got more important things all over the earth that he's got to deal with. I shouldn't bother him with my emotions. Have you ever felt like God asked you the following question. How are you doing? How are you feeling today? I wonder 
if there's a lot of people who've never even felt God ask them that question before. And I wonder if the reason they've never felt God ask them that question is because they're actually convinced he doesn't care. Can you imagine what your weekly time with the Lord would look like if three or four out of the five, six or seven days you spend with the Lord, you let the Lord start your quiet time with the question, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? If you think God doesn't really care, you've forgotten what the Bible says. First Peter chapter five, verse seven says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Now let's dig a little deeper into this so that we can fully understand God's heart. All right, here's what this means. When God, the next time you feel God asks you, how are you doing? How are you feeling? According to what we just read, here's what you need to understand. The last thing he wants to hear because he cares for you, the last thing he wants to hear you say when he asks, how are you doing? Is this, fine. Fine. You do realize that the word fine is one of the most passive aggressive plays in relationship, right? Because if someone that asks you, how are you doing, is actually a big part of your problem, you can use the word fine, but let them know you're not fine. How are you doing? Fine. I'm fine. Hey, how's everything going? Fine. You know what I'm talking about? The last thing God wants to hear when he says, how are you doing, is fine. And I'll prove it to you in scripture. If you're not fine, it's the last thing he wants to hear you say. Listen, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. The Lord detests lying lips. He detests lying lips. But he delights in those who tell the truth. Why do we apply that to certain things but not everything? This applies in your relationship with God. When he asks you how you're doing, don't lie to him. Tell him. He can handle your honesty. The worst thing you can think is, "Ah, I shouldn't bother God with this. No, he wants to know. He wants all of your cares and your worries because he cares for you. So when he asks you, how are you doing? Tell him honestly. Here's the second dangerous thought we can have that keeps us from being honest with God about how we feel in seasons of suffering. I must be strong. I've got to be strong. As Christians, we can become so convinced that we must be strong, that we fail to be honest about how we feel when we're weak. And here's the problem with that. If you can't be honest with the Father about how you feel when you're weak, you're only going to get weaker. Here's another way to say that. You can't get better until you get honest. Preston, are you telling me that if if I am frustrated and I'm bothered and God asks me how I'm feeling, that I just need to puke it out and tell him? 100%, that's what I'm telling you. Don't be like me. I don't know if you've ever felt queasy before, and you knew you were getting that flu bug, but I am the person who will wrestle that feeling to the ground all night long. My wife, she'll just go and get sick and sleep like a baby. I will stay up all night going, I will not get sick. I'm not getting sick. 
I'm not getting sick. And I'll just push it down and I'm miserable all night long. But what happens once I allow myself to release the bug that's inside of me? I feel so much better. Listen, that's how honesty feels in our relationship with God. He already knows the only person that's hurting not to be honest is you. When he asks you, how are you doing? Tell him. Well, what does that sound like? Because some of us don't know what real honesty in seasons of suffering sounds like. Flip over to Psalm 77 and you will see in the first 10 verses of the 77th Psalm what real, raw honesty with God sounds like in the midst of suffering. Psalm 77 verse 1. I cry out to God. Yes, in my quiet time, I shout. I shout. I'm loud. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. In other words, I couldn't find him. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. You don't let me sleep. I'm too distressed to even pray. I think of the old days. They were so good, long since ended. When my nights were filled with joyful songs, I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. That's raw honesty right there. Can you be this honest with God when you hurt? If you can't, it's hurting you. It is hurting you. When God says, how are you feeling? He wants your honest answer. When we read the psalm that Asaph wrote, he's just puking. He's just getting it all out. I'm frustrated. I'm bothered. Where are you? It used to be so good back in the day. Now it's miserable. Have you turned your back on me? And then he finishes verse 10 saying, yep, this is it. This is my fate. The Most High has turned his back on me. It's honesty. Can you be honest? That leads us to the third really important thing that we can learn from Jesus as we watch him in the garden. If you look beyond yourself in grief, you will see him in the garden. If you can look past yourself, you will see God in the garden. The first time Jesus prays in the garden, he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. The second time he prays, he says, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. How did he get from take this away to in the second prayer, if this is the only way, I'll do it. If I'm the only person who could carry out this calling, so be it, your will be done. How did he get from there to here? I'll give you my opinion, and I know it may not be right, but my opinion is he went from focusing on what he was feeling to focusing on the Father. It's a powerful truth 
that we can learn. We can't just stay in the land of our feelings. We got to feel them. We got to be honest about what we feel. But we can't stay there. We got to be able to transition from feelings to focusing on the Father. You have two options in the garden when you're experiencing suffering. You're either going to get fixated on what's crushing you or you're going to get fixated on the faith on the face of your faithful father. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Well, that's awesome, but here's the problem. If you become more focused on what's crushing you, you will not see your savior coming to rescue you. Because you're too keyed in on what you feel like is killing you. There's got to be a transition in the garden. Colossians chapter three, verse one says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. We will never get to a place where we can say before God, your will be done, as long as we are constantly focused on what's crushing us. Now, I gave you those two really encouraging verses at the beginning of the message, John 16 and Psalm 34, but I only gave you the first half of each because I wanted to help you understand if you want to always see the negative, you can. But look what scripture says, John 16, 33, here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, Jesus says. But then Jesus says, take heart because I've overcome it all. Yeah, you're going to experience some tough stuff, but I got great news for you. I've overcome it all. You don't need to fixate on the fact that you're going to go through tough stuff. I've overcome every, every bit of it. Psalm 34, 19, the righteous person will face many troubles, but the good news, the Lord comes to the rescue each time. What do you see in seasons of suffering? Do you tend to stare at your situation, your circumstances, that which is crushing you? Or do you push through to see the face of your faithful heavenly father? Now in Psalm 77, the first half is a raw conversation with God. But I want you to see now and I want you to hear once a person transitions from being honest about how they feel in a season of suffering, when it's done in a godly way, I want you to see what happens next, all right? Psalm 77, now in verse 11. Now remember, Asaph just puked up all these raw feelings. But verse 11 starts with the words, but then. In other words, in spite of everything I just said, but then. I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. And I love this next part. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. This is one of the verses I wish God would have let me write in the Bible because I would have put a dot, dot, dot. I would have said, when the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled, dot, 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 and got right out of your way. And that's what he's saying. When the Red Sea saw you coming, it got out of your way. How did he get to that place? 
he starts by remembering God's faithfulness. And you hear the strength coming upon Asaph in the same way it comes upon us when we transition from being honest with God about how we feel in the season of suffering to going back to and remembering God's faithfulness. He says, the Red Sea saw you coming, got out of your way. Verse 17, the clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea. Your pathway through the mighty waters. A pathway no one even knew was there. When you can be honest with God about how you feel in difficult seasons, you'll be surprised how often that conversation that started with raw honesty ends with a strength, a courage, a boldness when you begin to recall God's faithfulness. All Asaph did was go back through the testimony of his heavenly father's faithfulness. And when we do that, that leads us to point number four. Four of the most beautiful words God will ever hear you say. I want you to remember, here Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing he is on his way to die. But he's not just, this is not about death. Understand, Jesus isn't saying, I don't want to die. He prophesied from the beginning of his time of ministry on the earth, he came to die. He wasn't trying to get out of his death. What was overwhelming him was two really big things. He was about to be made sin. And secondarily, and probably even more importantly, his father was about to abandon him. Had to because of sin. Thank God it only lasted three days. But Jesus is saying, I don't want, I don't want that to have to happen. I want relationship. He's honest about how he feels. And his friends that he says, listen, I'm in a difficult season of my life. And you know what I need from you guys? I just need you to pray with me. I'm gonna go over here and pray. I need you to stay here and just pray for me. That's how you can be there for me. And what do his friends do? His friends fall asleep. They abandon him too. And yet, Jesus utters four very incredible words that every one of us need to remember in the midst of really hard seasons of suffering. Listen to what he says. Matthew 26, go back to verse 44. So Jesus went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And here are the four words. Up. 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 Get up. Let's be going. You know what I love about this? My Savior, your Savior, 
who was about to march to die for me, for you. He didn't plop down in the garden, throw a hissy fit and say, you're gonna have to drag me kicking and screaming to that cross. Jesus, even though minutes before he was struggling with anguish and sorrow to the point of death, Jesus gets up and he says, I've got to do this. It hurts me, but I've got to do this because it's my calling. I can't stay here because my calling involves there. And he got up. And I just wonder, I know it's just speculation on my part, but I wonder if three days later, if God wasn't the first person to go into that tomb and take those four same words, when everybody thought the father turned his back on the son for good, I wonder if God didn't go into that tomb and say to his son, up, let's be going. It's not over. Get up. Let's be going. And I just wonder if at the second coming of Jesus Christ, if he doesn't repeat those words to you and to me and say, up, let's be going. I wonder if every season of suffering that I go through in my life and I have a chance to plop down in the middle of the garden to whine about it, not just weep over it. I wonder if every time I find myself in that garden, if I'm not practicing for the second coming. Up, let's be going. You find yourself in a season that you can't stand. This message is all about going where the spirit leads, but the flesh hates to go. Jesus knew this is my calling and no one else can do it. Listen, if you're in a season of suffering and the enemy has got you with your head buried in the sand, knocked down, beat up, convinced, you may not be able to go any further. I'm begging with you. I'm not gonna yell at you and say, get up. I'm begging you to first be honest with God about how you feel right now. Don't hide your hurt from him. Don't hide your frustration. Be honest. I talk so much about intimacy with God, but there's no such thing as intimacy with God without complete honesty. This is what intimacy looks like. When I don't feel on top of my game, I can say, God, I'm frustrated. I'm confused. You told me this is what I was supposed to do with my life, but I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. I don't know what to do. I feel lost. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like the enemy is winning and beating me. God wants me to be honest. He wants you to be honest. But he wants you to move after being honest from just letting yourself feel things to fixating on your faithful father reminding yourself what he's already done in your life. This isn't the first season of suffering you've gone through. He's been faithful to lead you through others. And of course you don't like to go through them. Jesus didn't want to go through it, but he did. He embraced it. And as followers of Jesus Christ, 
Because Jesus went into and came out of the Garden of Gethsemane. We have been called to follow him into that same garden, but to also follow him out of it in the same way he walked out. Up. Let's be going. You got this. Not because you're strong, but because your God is. Up. Let's be going. Sorrow may last for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. nobody else can follow Jesus in and through the garden of Gethsemane if you'd like to know more about Gateway Church please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv